0: Welcome to the Daily Faceoff Show, your everyday source for the
2: latest news with top-notch insight and analysis, live every weekday at noon Eastern. Trying to come up with a name for the Stanley Cup Final, is it the All Hydration Stanley Cup Final, given that it's sweltering hot here in Denver, Colorado? It's 37 degrees Celsius, just about 100 degrees Fahrenheit today. I know, dry heat, definitely will not get a dry heat, Matt Larkin in Tampa when the series shifts there. So is it all hydration or is it all gold bond uh, formula that we need to keep dry in the Stanley Cup final? What do you think?
3: Uh, I don't know, I think hydration, but I'm feeling it here in Toronto too. I feel like Toronto is feeling sympathy pains for Denver right now because we've got the heat going on here, smashing records, I think, just crazy humid, With the humidity 40 degrees celsius it's a crazy wave so we're feeling it here
2: too yeah that's nuts welcome into the daily face-off show today is friday june 17th day 47 of the stanley cup playoffs it's a double off day in the stanley cup final game two does not go until saturday night at 8 p.m eastern time and matt let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and let's drop the puck to start talking about that cup final some interesting developments on thursday nazem kadri with a stick in his hand for the first time since undergoing thumb surgery uh seemed to be making some passes a little bit of stick handling but i didn't really see a lot of shooting so maybe until there's some shooting that you know, Nazim Kadri still has a ways to go in order to get it back into this series.
3: I think that's fair. We're always gonna get the optimism from player and coach, whether it's Jared Bednar, of course, Nazem Kadri believing he can get back into the series. But I'm skeptical when it's a thumb, when it's surgery. Like you said, we did not see him shooting pucks in practice. And the thumb is so important. It's not like it's a body part that might get used in a game or bumped a little bit. It's gonna be used constantly, especially when you're a center. You need that thumb for taking faceoffs. So if Nazem Kadri gets healthy enough to come back into the series, I don't know if he could jump right into playing center right away because I assume that could affect his ability to win draws and I, I just think the way that Kadri plays his style is so physical for him to be involved in a game he's got to just be throwing his body around with reckless abandon so I, I I'm more skeptical than most I don't know for sure that we're gonna see him back in this series with that thumb injury
2: yeah I mean i I guess it, you know skeptical is the right way to be it in this case but The developments as we've gone along here, you know, skating and then now skating with a stick in his hands, it just feels like he's inching closer. Like you're, if you are, if it's a foregone conclusion that you're out, obviously you're not going to see Nazem Kadri on the ice at all. So the fact that he's out there, probably a positive sign for the Colorado Avalanche, who if he's at any strength, uh, they could certainly use in their lineup, given how well he's played this season and postseason. Wanted to ask you quickly, Matt, what's the biggest adjustment that the Lightning need to make for Game Two in order to send the series back to Tampa all square?
3: I think they just need to find their legs. So I believe that the two-day layoff is crucial for the Lightning because you think about playing at opposite conferences and, of course, the pandemic. It's not like Tampa gets to come to Colorado very often and experience the altitude very often. I thought early in Game 1, they looked tired. Even Andre Vasilevsky, after one of the goals, they showed him on his knees. He had a red face, right? He was really sweaty and, I think, feeling the altitude as well. So to me, I think we're going to see a lot of jump early in Game 2 from Tampa Bay compared to Game 1 because you have that two extra days to adjust to the altitude.
2: Yeah, that might help. I think they also just need to be a little bit more crisp. Handle the puck better. You saw some uncharacteristic turnovers, particularly one from Victor Hedman firing it up the boards right under the stick essentially of Nathan McKinnon. Uh, Turns around and it's in their net in short order. I think the Tampa Bay Lightning will be a lot cleaner in Game 2. Looking forward to that because game one was so awesome uh let's talk about the first i guess you could say real trade of the offseason the dallas stars also traded ben bishop's contract on june 10th but in this case evgeny Dadonov, a real player in the national hockey league 16 points in 16 games to end The regular season after his trade to the Anaheim Ducks was voided because they were on his no trade list. One of the wild stories of last season, he ends up going to the Montreal Canadiens in exchange for the contract of Shea Weber, who we know will not play again or is not expected to play again in his career. Four seasons remaining on his deal at a $7.8 million cap hit. Matt, the question for you is, why does this trade work for both sides?
3: I really think it does. And for Montreal, of course, people are going to talk about the LTIR relief long-term four years. Of course, Montreal also has the prospect of dealing with Carey Price on LTIR maybe for years to come because we don't know exactly what the status is long-term with that knee. But I also just like the deal from a hockey perspective for Montreal because I think Evgeny Dodonov, he's going to bring something. He's a legitimate proven top six forward. And I think he's going to help a team that looked a little more competitive down the stretch with Martin St-Louis taking over as head coach. But also the thing with Dodonov, he's an... Ex- hiring contract. right? So if Montreal is struggling next year, they're not too competitive. That's an asset you can flip at the deadline. I think it can really happen. And maybe Ken Hughes is going to be a little bit uh, fairer assuming that that no trade carries over. And he'll send Dedana up to a destination to which he actually wants to go. From Vegas perspective, of course, it's about the short term cap relief. You save him $5 million. And we know even with the Bruce Cassidy hire that Vegas is hell-bent on winning right now. That's their entire identity, for better or worse. So I see the benefit absolutely for both sides.
2: Yeah, and for Vegas, you know, to highlight the point that you were making about the LTIR, it's not a position that you'd like to be operating in by preference. But in this case, first off, Shea Weber may not be the only player that's on LTIR for the Vegas Golden Knights next season. What's going on with Robin Leonard and his health, Nolan Patrick and his health? There's a number of different players that there's question marks surrounding. Um, But in this case, you had to trade a pick last year or tried to trade a pick last year just to move off of Dodonov and his contract. In this case, you trade Dodonov and don't have to give anything up in order to do it. And you get back a player who in Shea Weber is basically a net neutral, not a positive or a negative on your cap uh, because he can go on LTIR. So in that case, probably a win for the Golden Knights as well. But I think this is a home run for Montreal. You get that flippable asset, as you mentioned. And by the way, it could actually help your team. In the meantime, let's talk about some other news. John Tortorella officially joining the Philadelphia Flyers. We reported here at Daily Faceoff last weekend that John Tortorella and Barry Trotz were the two finalists for the position. Uh, I believe the Flyers did offer the position to Barry Trotz first. He decided to go in another direction. In this case, John Tortorella ends up being the guy. Feels like Matt is some, like someone that was born to coach in a certain market like Philly. That intensity, that fire that you see. Um, Uh, You know, He's also the oldest coach that the Flyers have ever hired in their history. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. The Flyers need to do some major roster reconstruction. But what do you think about the fit?
3: It's an interesting fit. And I do think it reflects the line that sort of has been repeated many times now from Flyers Governor Dave Scott, the blank check line, right? Because to me, John Tortorella is not a coach that you bring in if you want your franchise to tank. He will take whatever you give him. Whether it's low talent, high talent, he will make it better. He will wring every last drop out of it. You saw how many times he did that with the Columbus Blue Jackets, especially in 2019-20. That team had lost Matt and Artemi Panera, and Sergey Bobrovsky. And somehow going into that bubble pandemic or the, the, the pandemic bubble tournament, the way the standings had frozen, Columbus was right there still competing for a playoff spot. They had so many injuries that year. But Tortorella builds a culture just sort of next man up. Doesn't matter who I'm working with. I'm going to turn all these guys into warriors. We're going to block shots. We're going to be unselfish. We're going to play defense first. So you're going to see, I think, an identity change in Philadelphia. I think you're going to see guys like Scott Lawton get much more of a prominent identity because that's more of a John Tortorella type of player. We know Cam Atkinson, of course, had the best seasons of his career playing under Tortorella. So you're going to see more hustle on this team. You're going to see maybe some more guys going in the doghouse as well. What I'm really curious about now and mike mckenna said this on our website daily face off he had a column about free agency and he said that he once was too scared to sign with the team because john tortorella was the coach and made him stay away so will this deter some free agents i'm not sure
2: it could Uh, you know the big thing i wonder about is you know how will young players, which the Flyers will need to introduce at some point for a team that, you know, they're clearly thinking that they're not heading towards a rebuild that they are going to be able to bounce back in short order. You know, maybe the Ryan Ellis can get healthy and Sean Couturier is healthy and you get a healthy season from Kevin Hayes and maybe things look a little bit different, but at some point they're going to have to trust young talent and they're going to have to introduce more young talent. And after the things that John Tortorella said publicly as an analyst on ESPN, basically condemning or criticizing the Trevor Zegers goal uh, from earlier in the season. I don't know how as a manager you can look at that, especially when this league is younger than it's ever been and they're making more of an impact than they've ever been, young guys, that you could trust that coach to be able to get the most out of those players. That, to me, is the biggest question mark of all when it comes to John Torella and his upcoming role with the Philadelphia Flyers. Matt, let's continue with our down-and-out series. Uh, we're focusing on teams that have been eliminated from the Stanley Cup playoffs, taking a peek back at where they've been, and also, more importantly, where they're heading this offseason and today up is the Calgary Flames. It all comes down to Johnny Gaudreau. Everything that they want to do this summer hinges on whether or not they're keeping Johnny Gaudreau. I'll just quickly give you my sense of where things stand at the moment. They've made their pitch, their presentation, their, you know, there's not a lot of secrets here. You know, the Calgary Flames can offer and will offer eight years. The question is, what's the AAV? And I don't even think that's really even the biggest question. It's, does Johnny Gaudreau want to continue to be a Calgary Flame? That's really all that it comes down to. I think the numbers will work themselves out. I think in this case, um, there's that discernment process that's underway. And so now I believe the Calgary Flames are sitting back and waiting to hear from Johnny Gaudreau on that decision My thing, Matt, is the longer this goes, that's probably not good news for Calgary because at a certain point, it's like, hey, are we getting married or are we not? And Mm -hmm. at some point, you kind of just know if you're not that things are probably heading in the wrong direction for you.
3: That's right. And it does sound like the Flames are willing to pay Gaudreau whatever he wants. They're going to be competitive with any offer. But like you said, it's a matter of, does he want to go somewhere else? But to me, I think the allure of a Stanley Cup has to be there. And I I just think if you look at any other situation that Gaudreau could land in, I don't think that that team, whatever team he picks, because it's not going to be every team in the league he can choose from, is going to have a strong chance as strong a chance as Calgary at winning a Stanley Cup in the near future. So to me, you could sign this deal with Calgary if you really wanted to do a homecoming later in your career. You could, but the Flames were so close. If You look at this season, and we know on the, anyone who reads our site, I was very bullish on Calgary in the playoffs. They were so close. They had such a balanced team, great defense, great goaltending, great scoring up front. And really, even in the playoffs, they outchanced Edmonton in the second round. They just got bad goaltending for five games from Jacob Markstrom for some reason. But other than that, this team was right there. So if you look at the scope of what Calgary is going to do this offseason, I think that's part of the pitch to Goudreau. It's, hey, if you come back, if we run back this group, even if we don't add any other pieces, we have to use every bit of cap space just to get you back and to re-sign Matthew Kachuk, Andrew Manjapani, Oliver Oliver Keelington. I think that's still enough. The team is there on paper, even if it's untouched.
2: Yeah, You're right. But it's now going to then be about the trickle-down effect and trying to get everyone signed if he's back. And if not, it's going to be about trying to replace a guy that was a 115-point scorer in the NHL this season. It would be difficult, if not impossible, to do. You mentioned some of the other contracts that are up. It's Goudreau, as you said, uh, Matthew Kachuk, Andrew Maggiapani, Oliver Shillington, and then a couple guys on the back end, Eric and Branson and Nikita Zadaroff. Don't overlook them. They were a pretty significant part of what Daryl Sutter had the Calgary Flames doing in their own end. Let's get to this week's edition of Icebreakers.
3: okay everybody it's time for icebreakers presented by doordash and of course we have frank's trade target board a new edition is coming up very soon today on the website so frank i want to do a little trade scuttlebutt with you we're going to start with the vegas golden knights so obviously we know with the deal, moving to Donov, they get a bit more breathing room with the salary cap. But are there any other names you think that could be jettisoned? Who else are they looking to move?
2: Well, yeah. Even though they've found a way to move on from Evgeny Dodonov, the fact of the matter remains that they're still tight up against the cap. And so one name that I've circled uh, for someone that certainly last year at least did not play up to the uh, level of his pay would be defenseman Alec Martinez. And... Part of that is through no fault of his own. That injury that he went through really seemed to throw him through a loop. It was a facial, uh, I guess the best way to describe it would be a facial injury that also had some uh, concussion-like effects on him. I think a lot of what you saw was concussion-like symptoms that wasn't actually necessarily a concussion itself and so the golden knights had fought hard to keep martinez a couple years back when he went was a pending unrestricted free agent he resigned for three years times 5.25 million dollars and now at this point yeah, that's a pretty significant salary for the Vegas Golden Knights. So will they keep Alec Martinez? Will they decide to try and move him? Would a team be interested at that type of cap number? Or will Vegas uh, basically be forced to keep a guy like him? I think they're also trying to do uh, some other different things up front. They're trying to keep Riley Smith. Uh, that money is going to have to come from somewhere. Uh, I believe that they had entered into negotiations with Riley Smith at some point during last season. And they seem to stall out. I wouldn't be surprised to see them revisit them. But in order to do that and keep Smith, you're going to have to move money elsewhere. And so Martinez is, one of, is going to be one of the guys, Matt, that's added to our trade targets list later today.
3: Okay. Uh, Another team I'm I'm intrigued by this offseason is the mysterious New York Islanders. We know at the trade deadline, even though they were out of it, they did very little. And it seems like there's a sense they think they can run it back and have a much better season. They were very unlucky last year, of course, with a 13-game road trip to start the season. So Lou Lamorello is sort of lurking in the weeds. But are there going to be any players thrown overboard in the process? Is there a name in the rumor mill that could be going out of the Islanders?
2: Yeah, there's one name that has popped up in the rumor mill in recent days, and that's Anthony Beauvillier. And, you know, I always caution anyone when it comes to the New York Islanders, you know, Lou Lamorello, he's like getting blood from a stone. He's not going to be giving anyone any sort of information. But from other teams that I spoke to, they have a sense that Beauvillier is available, that uh, the Islanders have gone through this process where... Uh, you know, they're probably going to be making some changes to their group. We know that they need some help on their back end. They were basically dressing, uh, two 40 year olds to play in their top six last season. Uh, they're also a team that has some salary cap constraints, given the long-term contracts that they have given the flat salary cap and Beauvillier who played last season in the first year of his deal at $4.15 million. He really took a step backwards last season. And if you look at his career arc, a really talented player that sort of busted into the league and hit 20 goals somewhat quickly in his second year, and you're thinking, okay, this guy is going to continue on this upward trend, and instead really what he's done is sort of flatline. And I think the big question is, is Anthony Beauvillier going to be that player that sort of breaks through, or is he going to be sort of exactly what he has shown to be, that sort of 35, maybe 40-point guy if you can get there, um, and maybe 18, 20 goals if you're lucky, or is there something else there? So I think the Islanders could potentially explore that market uh, to see what kind of value is out there. Are teams as interested in Anthony Beauvillier as you know, potentially some might be where he could generate some interest.
3: Okay. Keeping it in the Metro division, let's switch to Pittsburgh and a guy whose name is just, I think, permanently carved into the rumor mill. That's Kasperi Kapanen. Wherever he goes, any point in his career, he's always being traded or part of trade rumors. So what's the latest on Kasperi Kapanen, who of course is an RFA?
2: Well, we were just talking about the Calgary Flames and how there's a pecking order there that exists with Johnny Goudreau and then everyone else will have to sort of fall in line. And and that's really where things stand with Kasperi Kapanen at the moment. As you mentioned, pending restricted free agent for the Pittsburgh Penguins. They're working as hard as they can to get Chris Letang signed. I think after that, the focus is on Evgeny Malkin. After that, the focus is probably on Evan Rodriguez. And so where does that leave Kasperi Kapanen and how much cap space, if any, will they have after the fact? Now, Kapanen is arbitration eligible, and his qualifying offer is really quite affordable at $2.3, 2400000 million. And so they can afford to qualify Kesberry Kapanen. The thing is, moving forward, are you worried about what an arbitration award might look like? Is it past the point... Um, You know, when you take a look at his career, such a talented player, the reason why he's entered into the rumor mill at times is because teams are intrigued by a guy that has that sort of higher ceiling that for whatever reason has lacked the consistency in his game to really be that impact player. And so does that award sort of end in the four and a half million dollar range? Is it closer to four? Where does that end up? That's something the Pittsburgh Penguins need to be wary of. And if they can't afford him or don't have the cap space, well, then they're certainly going to have to move him. But they're going to also have to ask themselves this question, Matt, and and part of that is where will they get the 40 points that Kasperi Kapanen sort of provides for them on a year-to-year basis? It's just one more part of the puzzle that's sort of been complicated in Pittsburgh all offseason long.
3: It's funny, Frank. Seeing Kasperi Kapanen up close in Toronto all these years, I always refer to him as like the person who who buys a really fancy sports car and has never owned one before. Can't quite handle it. It's got so much speed and ability and it just can't quite finish. You just don't know what to do with it. To me, that's Kasperi Kapanen. All the talent in the world just has never sort of harnessed the ability to finish. Well, that's it for Icebreakers with Frank. Thank you, Frank. Delivered by DoorDash. And you see the promo code there at the bottom of your screen? That's DFODD in Canada, DFODD US in the United States. That gets you 25% off. No delivery fees on your first order. Great weekend to order some takeout, too. Lots of awesome sports on TV and Father's Day, of course, too.
2: All right, Matt. Time for our daily face-off. Inbox question of the day: hashtag Ask DFO. Hit us up on Twitter. Ask us a question. We'd be happy to answer for you. The Nashville Predators. There was a report from Sportico over the last twenty-four hours that the Preds have reached an agreement to sell the franchise, and it's sort of an interesting buyer. It's the Haslam family of the Flying J fame, and they uh, also uh, former governor of Tennessee. So in this case. Um, When you look at a potential valuation, we don't know what the numbers are just yet, but significant or insignificant for the NHL as a whole? I think
3: significant but I also the the thing that jumps out to me is from the Predators perspective just what it might mean for their identity because if you look at Bill's brother Jimmy owner of the Cleveland Browns he's really changed that franchise made it more of I don't want to say a prestige franchise but a loud franchise that makes plays for big-time players they change the look the branding of the team if you look at the Nashville Predators in the cap era Usually, they're spending. I was looking at their past five six seasons. they're always in the bottom half of the league in their cap spending, so what I'm wondering is, will new ownership and a new identity make this a more aggressive franchise that tries to target you know the Johnny Gujos of the world spend to the very tip of the cap, spend extra money on coaching, whatever it is so I'm looking more that's what jumped out to me just possible identity change for the national predators because yes, they're a popular destination, I think at least for medium-level free agents, but I wouldn't call them a top-tier prestige destination. Would that change?
2: It could change. And also, I mean, I wonder what it means for management and off-ice as well. You know, new ownership comes in. David Poyle uh, has been there such a long time, has chased that elusive Stanley Cup seemingly forever. Uh, The only general manager that that team has ever known. We still haven't seen Barry Trotz land somewhere yet. There were reports in the last you know, 48 hours that Barry Trotz purchased a home in Nashville as he have a front office role in his future with a franchise that he's so familiar with. Great point by you about their spending. They've sort of been very conservative and also an interesting ownership group as a whole. 16 different uh, members of that ownership group. It seems like they might have reached a, a point where they just simply couldn't say no to this price that was offered by Bill Haslam, as you mentioned. And in this case, moving forward, I'd love to see what the valuation is. What's the sale price of this franchise? 26th out of 32 in the NHL on Sportico's franchise value rankings. We saw what the Pittsburgh Penguins went for. This could be a significant moment in terms of setting future franchise prices in the NHL, which has always lagged behind the other three major sports in North America. So uh going to be interesting to see how that all unfolds and what we can learn about Bill Haslam and his, his style as a uh, potential NHL owner, certainly did not see that coming in the last 24 hours. Let's bring in Tyler Ramchuk for our daily face-off daily bet segment. Tyler, the double off day, you found something uh, to gamble on on Thursday. What do you got for Friday?
0: First off, Steph Curry did indeed go over four and a half, three-pointers, so that was a lot of fun watching the final game of the NBA season last night. And I do have some plays for tomorrow night, Game 2 of the Stanley Cup Finals, so let's jump into those, courtesy of our friends over at Bet Canada. Starting at the top there, I'm all over that money line, Tampa Bay Lightning plus 135. I think they find a way to bounce back. They started slow. They started to find their game more towards the end of things. And you know, what do we know about this lightning team? They've been great at making adjustments, right? They lost game one to Toronto. They lost game one and I guess game two to New York. But I really do think the lightning are in a good spot to bounce back here and plus 135 is actually pretty solid value. And I'm going a little bit deeper as well, taking a player prop for the lightning. And this is just my favorite bet. I'm, I'm giddy. I'm, I'm so excited to put money on this Andre Palat over half a point. Minus 135, he's riding a five-game point streak. He's hit this bet in nine of his last 10 games. Why is this not priced closer to, well, what you see with a Victor Hedman at minus 150? I think it should be priced in the minus 200 range. He's hit this in nine of 10. He's been a machine in these playoffs. Why can't Andre Palat pick up another point? I think it's a lock, Frank. It's a stone-cold lock that Andre Palat goes over half a point tomorrow in game two of the Stanley Cup final. Let's go.
2: Stone cold mortal lock. I mean, I cannot wait to fade you on Saturday night. Thank (laughs) you to Tyler Ramchuk for our daily face off daily bet segment. That uh, brings us to garbage time with Matt Larkin. And we were just talking about John Tortorella and the fit with the Philadelphia Flyers. You know, one of my other big questions is how do the so-called non torts players or players that we think might be not necessarily fits to play under John Tortorella. I'm thinking of guys like James Van Riemsdyk or Kevin Hayes, You think there are other players, though, that may have really good fits or may be good fits and have a great future in front of them with John Tortorella?
3: That's right. And the player I'm looking at closest is in net. That's Carter Hart. If you look at the history of John Tortorella's career, he is, I don't want to say a goalie whisperer, but the work he does on the team in front of the goaltender makes life a lot easier for the goaltender. So if you look at the last 10 full seasons, that John Tortorella coached, the same percentage of his starting goaltender, 921, 930, 926, 917, 908, 931, 921, 913, 911, and then 894 in that last season The Columbus sort of fell off the map. But these teams are always strong at blocking shots, preventing high quality chances. And what you saw this year from Carter Hart, the overall numbers didn't look like they improved that much, but they actually did under the hood. He just had a really difficult workload, a lot of high quality chances against, and he was, I would argue, slightly above average against them. So now he's probably going to get a, just a different looking system in front of him, a team that's much more committed to self-sacrifice and defense. And to me, the implications of that are excellent. I think we're going to see the best season of Carter Hart's career.
2: Man, the Flyers could use it. And to your point, Carter Hart was not the issue last year. That was one of the big things they were banking on and why this makes this offseason so confounding is they were thinking, well, if we could just get some better goaltending from Carter Hart, our team will be fine. We'll be a playoff team. They did get that. 9.05 save percentage, just about league average, slightly above it. And when you mentioned you know, all the high danger stuff that he faced and, and certainly off the rush as well, he, he performed quite well, all things considered. The Flyers will also need to find a running mate for Carter Hart as well. Martin Jones, a pending unrestricted free agent as well. That'll do it for today's edition of the Daily Faceoff Show. Keep it locked on DailyFaceoff.com for all the latest news, insight, and analysis from around the National Hockey League. We'll be back with a new trade targets list, as mentioned later today. Lots of good stuff going up on DailyFaceoff.com. Thanks to our senior writer and managing editor, Matt Larkin, as well as Tyler Remchuk, and our technical producer, Alex Lard. It's been a great week of shows on the Daily Faceoff Show. We'll talk to you on Monday. Enjoy game two on Saturday night, everyone. 12 noon Eastern. You know where to find us. Subscribe on YouTube. And until then, have a great weekend, everyone. Stay cool.